What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 333 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is holiday time, and we've not talked a little bit on this podcast, and I've not been joined by this person in almost three weeks on this show, which is an eternity for us. Scott Coleman is back. Hello, sir. Brad, good to be on with you. Happy holidays to you and all of our listeners out there. Uh, it's been an interesting and, and quiet last couple of weeks for the Braves and across the league with the lockout. It's a little bizarre to me. Um, the fact that Major League Baseball like removed any instance of the 2021 season from their website the minute the clock struck midnight when they locked out was a little odd to me. And I don't know, I've been passing the time and getting my baseball fixed by watching highlight clips from the playoffs for the Braves. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting time and hopefully we we get baseball here sooner than later. Yeah, it's not going to be anytime soon. I fear uh, they did. I guess kind of talk once this week. We're going to we're going to do absolutely zero CBA updates today because I just don't feel like it. And essentially, our uh, our goal on this particular show is to sort of do a holiday mailbag. People are going to be driving and flying and traveling and hopefully being safe in the next couple of weeks. And I figured it was a good time to get at least one more episode up on the feed. Uh, we're actually. I guess it's not really chancing at this time of year, but normally I would not hold a podcast for a full day. We're going to try it this time around because uh, Scott Coleman, which people have, Scott Coleman, Sean Coleman, you guys, your, your names are very similar. Uh, <laughs> Sean's uh, Daily Hammer is actually going up as we're speaking pretty much uh, into Tuesday morning. So I'm holding this until Wednesday. And uh, this is the only time maybe in the history of the podcast, in which I'm not worried about that at all. Because nothing's happening, Scott. Absolutely nothing's we, happening. We are guaranteed to not do the talking chop jinx, which is actually a good thing that we would always jinx a signing or a trade as soon as we signed off. But uh, yeah, we're, we're in the clear. Uh, no matter when folks are listening to this, we really we do appreciate all the support over the last year. This, uh, especially during the playoff run, the support has been tremendous. And we cannot thank you enough for, for tuning in. And uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to kind of look back on where things are with the Braves and then some look ahead stuff too. And should be a good show. Yeah, so it's kind of evergreen in some respects. The one thing that may not be is this first segment, but even then it's going to be a while before anything changes, I think. So we were talking earlier, and uh, it's actually your idea. It's, it's, it's a good one. Um, we've got a, a couple questions in the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks or so, kind of about where the roster is and some more specific ones than others. And we'll, we're going to answer some direct questions later on in the podcast. But before we get to that, uh, you know, Eric and I talked about the bullpen pretty extensively about a week, week and a half ago. So we'll kind of breeze by that for now. But I, I, I guess it's time to like kind of reset the roster because like you kind of alluded to, baseball is not at the forefront of a lot of people, people's minds right now because there's nothing going on. Um, and I think people have almost forgotten a little bit on some of this stuff. So 
just briefly looking at, at the roster for 2022 as it stands now, I want, I want to stress that as it stands now, because no one believes or thinks that this is going to stay this way because the Braves have some pretty gaping holes to fill. But if you only go by who is under contract right now, it gets a little bit dicey in a couple spots. So um, I guess we can start with, with the rotation real quickly. And again, we're, we're going to do some deeper dives on the rotation and the outfield and the infield later on. But uh, sort of a, as a brief aside here, the rotation essentially has three proven commodities in it. And one of them is often injury. Charlie Morton, of course, famously got hurt in the playoffs. And he is one of the three, along with Max Fried and Ian Anderson. Um, and after that, there's a lot of names that people maybe know, but uh, we're kind of where we were at different times in the last two years, like Waskari Noah and Mike Soroka off two injuries and Kyle Muller and Kyle Wright and Tucker Davidson and Tukey. And there are not a lot of proven options. And uh, as you kind of alluded to earlier too, there's not a lot left in free agency. So like the Braves have to do something in my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree with me, but I think the Braves have to sign or acquire someone else that I trust and they haven't done that yet. And right now it's two and a half guys when you factor in injuries and a bunch of guys who are young and intriguing, but not at all proven. You're right. And I think, look, it's, it's easy to always think of things in the best case scenario as a fan. Um, but sometimes you should probably look at things in a worst case scenario. And look, when Charlie Morton, Max Fried, and Ian Anderson are on the mound and healthy and going right, you feel really good about the Braves' chance to win that night every single time. That being said, as we know, with starting pitchers especially, you cannot guarantee health. It is a long six-plus-month season. Call it seven or eight months with playoffs and spring training. Um, it's a long year. And as we saw last year and in previous years before that, uh, you need at least five starting pitchers who you feel comfortable with. And Charlie Morton is 38 years old. He's not a young man. He's having uh, – he had surgery, of course, from uh, – from the World Series, all reports indicate he's going to make a full recovery, um, but you, you can't guarantee that he's going to be as good as he was and then as good as Max Fried and Ian Anderson were. They threw a lot of innings last year, and, hey, they may get hurt. They're not susceptible to injury uh, just like anybody else. Um, there are some names here, and they're, they've all flashed and teased us, but I don't know. Do you feel comfortable handing Waskari Noah a spot in the starting rotation? I probably don't. Granted, it's nope. it's late December at this point, and maybe people feel differently. But uh, do you feel comfortable giving Kyle Wright a full year in the rotation? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Um, but for a team that is trying to win a World Series again, I think you probably have to be a little greedy and consider the fact that the Braves probably should add at least one veteran starter. I, I don't think I mean, frankly, in free agency, there's no stars out there. Carlos Rodon is still available. Clayton Kershaw is available, though. Uh, there's some real questions about his health moving forward. And then a whole bunch of veterans who might be in for a one-year deal. I'm not sure the Braves are going to go out and acquire a big-time starter in a trade and unload a bunch of assets. But at the very least, I think they have to add at least one veteran to help round out this rotation. And then you see what a Kyle Wright or a a Waskari Noah could do, a Tucker Davidson, uh, maybe Mike Soroka at some point is able to come back. Uh, so there are some names here. There's some depth. I'm just not sure if you feel great about any of those options other than the big three. Yeah, and I think, without, without going all the way into it, I think, you know, Charlie Morton is the big ticket, quote-unquote, for Asian edition because they signed him to that extension. I can't imagine them signing uh, another guy to a, a to a massive deal. I mean, maybe if Freddie left, and we'll get into that later on. But um, 
provided that you retain Freddie and spend some money there. I, I, it's going to be more, more like a Drew Smiley kind of guy. It won't, you're hoping for better than that, obviously, but it would be somebody in that range of like, you know, you're, you're hoping for a third, fourth, fifth starter kind of guy yeah. um, for maybe a year. Anthopoulos has definitely enjoyed one-year contracts. It would not surprise me at all if it was like a one-year $12 million deal for free agent X. Um, and that is kind of what you could bank on. And yeah, I mean, there's nobody of that group of young guys that I, that I would definitely say, you know, hand that guy a, rota- a rotation spot with no other, no, no other questions. Um, I think if you go into the season today, it's probably Enoa and Wright, I would <laughs> guess. Yeah. Um, just because of who they've been and what they've done recently. But even then, like, who knows, man? So, yeah, well, it would yeah. be interesting to know. I would love to know kind of behind the scenes. The, yes, there's a lockout, though. It's not like general managers are like strictly prohibited from talking to each other. So it would be interesting to know behind the scenes if anything is going on. Um, as we know, you have to pay a very high premium to trade for starting pitchers, or at least generally you do. Um so we'll see. I'm, I guess if, if I had to make a prediction, I think you're you're spot on. Maybe they add a Drew Smiley type fourth starter, maybe someone who's not sexy. Uh, but as we've seen, this this front office has done a tremendous job finding diamonds in the rough and guys who have really come on strong and, and kind of outperformed their contracts, especially in recent years. Uh, so we will see. But you, I, I think you're spot on there. You know who's still you know who's still a free agent? Who? Drew Smiley. Oh, uh, moving on. I'm, if I'm, he wants I'm, to I'm cut, kind of kidding, but, uh, <laughs> you are, but you're not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm actually not. Um, obviously I don't think they would give him, they would give him, uh, eight figures again, no. but, uh, if they want to give Drew Smiley $5 million, I would say absolutely do that. I'm <sighs> all, all kidding aside one year, 5 million for Drew Smiley. Sign me up right now today. Cause Drew Smiley for all the, all the nonsense people uh, gave him last year. If you look at his numbers, like he was worth $5 million. He wasn't yeah. worth what he was paid last year, last season, but on a one-year deal, like, yeah, you know, yeah. honestly, I mean, <laughs> okay. Okay. I, not to go down this rabbit hole, but we're going to save some of this stuff for later. I promise. But I think if I had to put Drew Smiley one-on-one versus any of those young guys who mentioned for next season. And, and my question is who uh, is worth more 2022 only. I think I take Smiley over every single one of them. Mm. That's fair. Um, I think yes. I guess I'm I'm laughing just because it's I'm, funny. I'm I know it's funny. Of, I know it's funny. I am thinking of the reaction on Twitter. Oh, it would be it would be hilarious. But talkingchop.com. Yeah. But well, I mean, honestly, like if you look at the numbers, they were not like good, but he was still, you know, a fifth starter quality guy last year. That's kind of what yeah. he was. So anyway, let's avoid that rabbit hole even further at this point. But that's rotation. They have three guys they trust and two rather large question marks and you can have one. I don't think they, they're, they want to probably. So I'd imagine. Yeah, they'll, they'll I think something you, else. If you had to guess, I think one of that group of five or six guys that we just talked about could certainly fill a spot, especially over a, a full season, but yeah. Um, well, you go, you go into the year with three or four options for that one spot and some, yeah. somebody wins the job, but also they have guys behind them. Like it would not surprise me. I, I, I would imagine not you either. If we saw, fifth starter Kyle Wright next year on, open, on opening week. That would not surprise anybody. Sure. But you don't want to have to you know rely on two of your five spots with that group. It's If you can get by with one, I think you're okay. And then you kind of figure out who you like the most. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's spot on. We'll see. Um, from there to the outfield where there's also some uncertainty, uh, they do have uh, some guys who are under contract. 
Marcelo Zuna, and that's something we talked about you and I a couple weeks ago, and we'll leave alone for now, but he is, he's on the roster. Uh, Adam Duvall is under control as their uh, healthiest slash best returning outfielder. Uh, Guillermo Heredia is back. Uh, then they have guys like Christian Pache and Drew Waters, uh, neither of whom are proven at the major league level, but are talented. And then you have Ronald Acuna, of course, but he did tear his ACL in July. So I am not banking on Acuna opening day. He could be back by then. He is uh, a monster in every way. Yeah. But um, I-, I think you can't, at least right now in December, just assume he's going to start 155 next year. Um, maybe, maybe he will. I'm not saying he can't do it either, but mm-hmm. he's at least something of a question mark early in the season. Have you seen those videos of him doing batting practice work in the cages? That's why he said, that's why I said he's kind of, he's kind of a monster. I mean, he, he might just be able to be hundred percent again in March. I just, the timeline, it breaks my brain. Like if you, if I get, I went back and looked this up because of honestly, in part because of that video that you're talking about, uh, he tore his ACL in July, like April throughout March, April would be nine months. Yeah. And that's yeah. not, that's pretty quick particularly for a guy who like is not a first baseman, like Ronald Acuna uses his <laughs> legs. Like this is not like a first baseman who's just lugging himself around there. Like he's going to need yeah. his legs to be right. Well, and um, in, in the way he plays, you can't tell me yeah. that they will fully trust Ronald to take the, the booster pack off if, if he wants to play a little bit. I mean, you, <laughs> and that's and what I really, mean. And you have to protect that asset. I mean, quite obviously he has signed for another eight years or whatever his amazing contract is. You, you have to take the keys away a little bit until he is 100%. Yeah, so I don't I don't say any of that to be negative about Ronnie. Like we're all excited for him to be back and he's the best player on the roster right now. So no one's saying otherwise. It's just that if you're talking about April 2nd or whatever, whatever day it is, I don't know that he'll be there. He might be, but I don't, yeah. I don't know it for sure. Um, so you're in a spot where, like, yes, Adam Duvall, you could trust to start opening day if you need to. Marcelo Zuna, the player, um, is a major league starter. I don't know what's happening there. We've st- we've got nothing else in terms of clarity on that, but he's around. And after that, I mean, Heredia is a good fifth outfielder. Uh, they might tr- want to run it back with Pache one more time and see how that goes. Um, he's still very young and very talented. But, uh, I mean, they probably have to do something else in the outfield too. I mean, people might have uh, noticed by now, but uh, they had Eddie Rosario, they had Jorge Soler, and they had Jack Peterson all on the team in October, and none of them are under contract. So... Hmm. Uh, one, one more outfielder, I think is a minimum, honestly, they they might even need two. Yeah, I think so too. And it's worth pointing out. We're going to talk about this a little more in depth that the good news for the Braves is there are still quite a few high level free agents at positions of need available for them. And who knows who they're ultimately going to end up with. But, um, I will say, as we're talking, I agree completely. I think they have to add at least one outfielder. Um, especially with the uncertainty of Ronald Acuna. It may realistically be like May or June before he's back every day, just to be careful with him as as much as possible. Uh, So I think they can add one. I think they have the money for one. I think if you fill out an imaginary lineup right now, it's it's frankly not great. And there is very much a a hole and a need for an outfielder who can hit. Um, And I guess you you touched on Kristen Pache in, in particular, I would be really interested to know internally what they think of Christian and his both immediate future and long-term future, because as you noted, he's all of 22 years old. He is a young man. He has a lot of potential, but as we saw last season, he is just not ready for a daily job, at least offensively, defensively. No question. He's an everyday center fielder. The minute he gets called up um, offensively, can you throw him out there? 
I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens with the DH and the rest of the roster. Uh, you could probably talk me into him being the ninth hitter as kind of the uh, not giveaway out, but a good spot for Christian to hit if they're able to solidify the rest of the lineup one through eight, especially if there's a DH. Um, so I think he is a little bit of an outlier and we can't just write him off, but without question, I think they need to add at least one more outfielder. Yeah, they, they certainly could with a straight face go into next season and just say, look, Christian's going to be our, uh, one, of, one of our three guys. And that wouldn't, you know, annoy me to death. I think that you have to be prepared for him to struggle if he does, um, and not just be totally blindsided by that, but it would be totally reasonable given his pedigree and his talent to say, all right, Christian, you're the guy opening day in center field. Um, given that, you know, they have some guys around it. But even then, you need probably one more guy that you trust to go with Duvall and whoever else, whether, whether it be Ronnie or a fill-in. And then you get, to, you get to fill DH too. I mean, I think if Azuna is on the team, he's going to be the DH. Um, that, I think, is a pretty conventional viewpoint. Not really a, yeah. a limb there for me. <laughs> but I think if he's on the team, he's primarily going to be your DH, you would hope. Um, yeah. And you still have a corner outfield spot probably to fill. So, yeah, I mean, we'll save some of that too, but that's uh, where we are in the outfield. And I think that, um, you know, it would not, I'll say it, it would surprise me if they just did nothing else in the outfield. <laughs> they got to do something else. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's going to be Solaire. I don't know if it's going to be a Rosario or Jock or anybody that we know, quote unquote, from last year's team. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was one of those guys. I mean, if it was yeah. Solaire or Rosario, like, you know, wouldn't, I think Jock would kind of surprise me, to be honest. But maybe he just doesn't have any other options and comes back. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say outfield is traditionally one of the easier spots to fill on a uh, roster. See, see the Braves uh, in late July. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Yes, there's probably no greater example than what Anthopolis did uh, six months ago. Yeah, it, they are not looking for a franchise cornerstone shortstop. Thankfully, they're not looking for, uh, you know, it's not like they need three starting pitchers here. And it's like, holy smokes, what on earth are these guys going to do? Now you, you can find outfielders and platoon, especially is another option as well. If you don't want to commit big dollars to one of the free agents. So there are options here. And I think ultimately they get it figured out. Yeah. It's a lot easier to fill uh core outfield spots than it is starting pitchers for one, one example um, to the infield quickly before you get to some big picture questions, um, you know, on the bright side, four of the five spots are taken care of. You have uh, a very deep catcher room with Darno and Pina and uh, Contreras Langleers all around. That's four guys for two spots. You're in good shape there. Uh, you have arguably the best second baseman in baseball in Ozzy Albies. You have Desby Swanson in the final year of his pre, of his uh, pre free agency, but he's on the team and uh, penciled in. And then Austin Riley, you had, you know, obviously a breakout season last year was tremendous and he's back for another run. But um, at the moment, uh, I looked at two different places today on the, on, on the Braves 40 man slash depth chart or whatever. Uh, the starting first baseman, if you have to, if you had to open the season tomorrow is uh, Arcia, I think. Um, <laughs> he, he's the only big leaguer on the 40 man. I, I think if you had to play a game today, you would play Austin Riley at first and Arcia at third, or you might play like uh, Contreras at first. I don't know. Whatever you want to do, it wouldn't be great because first base is a gaping hole right now. And by the way, after Arcia, it's Travis DeMerit. Um, so that's kind of tells you where you are at the moment. Yeah, it uh, it only emphasizes that how much of a hole. And, and really, it looks weird to look at a Braves roster and Freddie Freeman has been with the team for a decade. So it's kind of odd and bizarre not to have Freddie just See penciled him? in it. Yeah, at first <laughs> yeah. base, as he has been quite literally every single day for 10 years now. Um, 
Yeah, man. It, it's funny. This podcast sounds a whole lot different to me if, if Freddie Freeman had signed by now, I mean, quite obviously, but um, we'll see. The good news is second, third, and short are very much locked in. Um, and first base is another position where it's generally not impossible to fill. And we'll, we'll jump in on some options here in a little <laughs> bit, but uh, you like that segue right there. That was um, great. Uh-huh. And uh, we'll see. I mean, again, it, it, we keep repeating ourselves. No one thought it was ever going to get to this point with Freddie and maybe they're going to have a deal lined up quickly once this thing gets going, going again with the league, but it is odd to look at this roster right now and not just, kind of subconsciously just, oh yeah, Freddie's at first base. All right, moving on. Uh, Cause it's, it's been that way for 10 years now. Yeah. It's very weird uh, to say the least. Um, so that's the roster as it stands. Obviously the bullpen we talked about last week. And by the way, that show is still available for listening. So go back and listen to that one and download it and tell your friends um, quickly. The payroll is always uncertain. Uh, last year, they finished at about $145 million, um, which is, you know, middle to high end, not, not top end, but a pretty decent size payroll right now. They're estimated to be at about 140, and that's with $0 from Freddie Freeman, $0 for another outfielder and $0 for another another starter. So Anthopolis has said that they're going to raise payroll, but that is all he has said. And that's all he will say. I'm very sure he's not going to give you specifics on what they have to spend. He's not going to ever do that. But um, needless to say, whether Freddie comes back or not, they're going to have to raise the payroll considerably um, because let's just say you estimate 28 or $30 million for Freddie Freeman, right? We'll, we'll say 30, a nice round number of 30. Now you're at 170. That's $25 million more than they were at more than they were at last year. And again, we just said on this podcast that they probably need another outfielder and another starting pitcher. So are they going to go to 190? Are they going to go to, 200 million i don't think they're gonna go 200 million uh i would be thrilled if they did but it's just interesting to me like where the line is going to be drawn because you know all of the decisions that they made so far in terms of you know extensions and uh arbitration stuff none of it was surprising but they did add that 20 million from morton onto the books etc they went you know they've they've gone cost conscious at, at catcher but like they're gonna have to spend some real money even if they don't improve the roster, quote unquote. Um, but like, is there an avenue where they sign Freddie and they also just go cheap everywhere else because they got Freddie? That's in play in my mind. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but is the cost of signing Freddie that they're going to start the season with Pache as the as like the unquestioned guy in center field because of that? Maybe. I don't know. It certainly could be. And I would hope that this team, they were just second in attendance. And as we know, Ticket revenue funds so much money for this organization, but they were number two in attendance. So they sold a kajillion tickets this year and they just coming off a world series run. I believe they ended up hosting eight playoff games. Maybe is, is what it was over that stretch. So you bring in a whole lot of money there by all accounts with the new CBA uh, teams are going to get more and more money. So there, there is money to be spent here. Um, I would hope this team that just won a world series and is trying to repeat again, uh, would spend as much as they as they can, and they also guess. printed money. I, I know you, I know you don't live here, Scott. Oh yeah, uh, but I, I can tell you um, with even more confidence locally just how much money they made <laughs> during the playoffs. Yeah, uh, it was absolutely obscene. Uh, I think that's well documented, but uh, I just want to emphasize that like <laughs> they have to raise payroll, or there'll, there'll be a revolt. But like 
any any like cries of we don't have enough money to, to pay the roster this year are not going to go over well. Oh yeah, I mean it's just, they it's just need, not. they need to spend, and I hope they spend. We do know that Alex Anthopoulos, um, a theme of his over the last couple of years is that he does like to pocket money for the trade deadline. And hey, we we saw what happens when you have some money free to. They did go out and spend at the deadline to their credit. Um, so you know he's going to have I don't know five ten million dollars in his back pocket to add during the season. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned adding in Freddie, uh, and then if you presumably add in a, a solid outfielder, you're probably not going to get a good outfielder for less than $10 million. Um, you're right. I mean, it, it's a balance. I, I wish that we were talking about a $200 million payroll as of recording this, I would be surprised if we got even close to that number, but who knows, maybe they're going to surprise us. And those Liberty media executives at their holiday <laughs> parties, maybe they're all talking about all the money they made. Uh, during uh, during the playoff run, and hey, if they want to do it again, they're going to have to spend some cash. So let, let's hope you add in Freddie for twenty five, thirty million. Maybe you add in a good, not superstar level outfielder, uh, and then fill in the pieces along the way. You can always go uh, bargain bin shopping. I guess in normal years, it happens in February, just before spring training. Maybe this year it's March with the lockout. But I, I think there are ways to supplement this team while still adding some legitimate talent. Yeah, so we'll, maybe we'll do this a, as a separate discussion later on. But like, no one's rooting for Friday not to come back. But I, I do think it's like interesting to like kind of lay out scenarios. If you if we knew what the payroll cap was, which we again we will never know. But if we knew it was like 180 million, like I, I wonder like if it might change some discussions for some people on like what they want out of the rest of their offseason. season. You know what I mean? It's fascinating to me yeah, because fair. right now it's all hypothetical and it's easy to just be like, pay Freddie whatever he wants. And that's, that's to be clear how I feel basically, because mm-hmm. <laughs> pay the, pay the man whatever, whatever he wants. But I, I do wonder if we knew what the public, you know, this is the, this is going to be the payroll cap for this year. was, if it was like, you know, 180 million, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's get a little mm-hmm. bit creative now. Now that's one of those like Twitter games where you have like, here's $15 and just distribute it yeah. to, the, to these, all these, all these players. So yeah. I don't know. I would, I would hope that, I mean, quite obviously, as we have seen as time has passed, when they signed Charlie Morton in August or September, whenever it was, to that one-year deal for $20 million, we liked it. And then seeing oh, yeah. some of the contracts that have been given out in uh, in November, we liked it, it even looks more. Even better. Yep. Uh, they replicated Travis Darno's deal for $8 million. They did add Kirby Yates and Manny Pena, though neither are going to make big dollars. So I would hope, based on all of this, that um, – that they will. They're going to push the envelope a little bit. You, of course, as we know, uh, very well being in the same division as the Philadelphia Phillies and New York Mets, you cannot just throw money at a roster and expect it to be good um, as much as Steve Cohen might want to. Uh, it's uh, You have to spend it smartly and efficiently, but I, I think ultimately if, if you're able to get Freddie back in the mix or a competent first baseman of some kind, and this is my segue into our mailbag, um, this roster you can connect the dots pretty easily to looking at this roster and going, man, these guys can absolutely repeat again, even if right now the roster is not the prettiest in the world. Yeah. Um, I have one question for you before we get to a break and into the mailbag, uh, because you just brought it up. Uh, do you happen to know the Fangraphs roster resource projection for the Mets payroll this season? Oh gosh. Um, 240 million. 263 million <laughs> holy smokes and that's only the players that have been signed so like they could actually could go higher 
uh wow granted they could trade some guys i guess but uh they're not fooling around in new york let's just no they uh i mean they, they're literally trying to like buy a not even a world series just trying to buy relevancy right now. i mean they have uh not to go to the, the full rabbit hole but they have one two three four five six seven eight they have nine guys making eight figures next season uh three really? of which, three of which mean, are making more than 30 million dollars i know lindor has his gigantic deal which so is going scherzer to up, scherzer yeah. lindor robinson cano is back by the way at 24 million dollars oh boy. uh degrom at 37 and a half million yeah, that's worth it. uh starling Marte, 15 million mark canna uh, 13 million carlos grasco 12 million eduardo escobar 10 million and edwin diaz for 10.4 million dollars so wow uh lots That's of money a, uh, that, that is a lot of money it's yeah. a lot and by the way they have another another bunch of guys that are like eight or like eight or nine million like taiwan walker eight million uh james mccann eight million trevor may eight million hmm. like they have a bunch of they're just uh lighting money on fire anyway we'll come back to that later on all right at break and when we come back we will uh answer some questions about the atlanta braves and other things What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Scott, mailbag time. As people might imagine, we got a lot of questions about what happens with Freddie, and uh, we'll kind of roll them into one or two here. Um, one of one of them actually comes from Austin. It could be Austin Rally. I don't know. Uh, he asks: uh, Assuming payroll expands and the Braves bring back Freddie, what other realistically available players could or should be on Alex Anthopoulos' wish list? And another question came from Nick, who asks: Besides resigning Freddie Freeman, what is the next biggest priority for the offseason? And the third question from our own Daniel, who asks, what is our favorite realistic offseason if Freddie goes elsewhere? So all, all that to say, these are just three examples. Like what happens if Freddie leaves is question number one, I guess. And the question number two is like, what, like who, is there anybody that you actually like have circled on your personal list as to who they should sign if they bring Freddie back? Cause I think we've kind of narrowed it down to starting pitcher and outfield, but maybe I'm wrong. So <laughs> it's funny. Cause anytime we talk about, 
who should replace Freddie in a hypothetical situation. Everybody gets really like angry and with good reason. Um, my guy would be Matt Olson. And Matt Olson, he plays in Oakland. Oakland. Uh, that, that, I'm sorry, full name, Parkview High School's own Matt Olson, sir. Excuse me, Park. <laughs> I should let you do this segment instead. No, it's okay. Um, I just want to make sure people know that um, as a Parkview High School alum, Matt Olson, Parkview High School alum. Matt Olson. Also, also Jeff Francoeur. So I was going to say Matt Olson. Yeah, Matt Olson, Jeff Francoeur, <laughs> and Bradley T. Rowland. The pillars of Parkview High School. Absolutely, uh, no one knows who I am that went to Parkview High School. So that's, uh, that's I. I know who you are, Brad. I know who you are. I'm I'm um, like number uh, five hundred and seventy four <laughs> on the Parkview on my list. Maybe maybe, maybe <laughs> and that might, that, might, that might be too high to be honest. You're selling so, yourself short. No. Um. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Matt Olson, he plays in Oakland. The casual baseball fan probably does not know a ton about him, but it's funny if you look at what Matt Olson has done the last couple of years. He compares pretty closely to Freddie Freeman, at least over the last couple full seasons. I know the two-month COVID 2020, uh, when Freddie was just on another planet, was the MVP. Um, you know, Olsen was not great in the shortened year last year, but I think in general, we can probably toss out that two-month season when evaluating guys. Um, he would not be cheap in trade. He has two more years left, um, but he was a five-war first baseman last year. Uh, he hit 271, 371, 540 in the ginormous wasteland that where the Oakland Athletics play their home games. A 146 WRC plus, which I think is nearly identical to what Freddie had. Um, he's pretty good defensively. He's not great. He's not terrible, um, but he's 27 years old, so he is very much in his prime. Uh, it would cost quite a bit to trade for him, and I know other teams like the Yankees and. I think even the Red Sox have been connected to Olsen at times, so he would not come cheap. But if Freddie Freeman leaves, I think Matt Olson's probably my first target. Um, but again, at first base, you have some options, and, and it's not impossible to fill that spot. Yeah, I mean, I think this is not our own uh, thinking. Matt Olson's been a very popular hypothetical for Braves people, um, in part because he's from here, in part because he's under contract for two more seasons with the A's. The A's are um, sometimes, maybe not always, but almost always willing to part with guys if they get the right return for them because they don't have a lot of money to, to re-sign guys. And he'll be a free agent in two years. Um, to your point about Olsen being, you know, almost as good as Freddie. Freddie, uh, in the last four seasons, this is by Fangraphs, Freddie is number one among first basemen in, in Fangraphs War and WRC+. Um, that's not breaking news to anybody. He's been incredible. Um, and in my mind, Freddie is the best first baseman in baseball. With that said, Matt Olsen is fourth. In Major League Baseball over that four-year period um, in Fangraphs War, and I think he's like fourth or fifth in uh, WRC Plus as well. Yeah. He has more home runs than Freddie does in the last four seasons. So, like, and, he, and he's four years younger too. I yeah, mean, that, so that's he's he's basically thing. yeah he's he's basically Freddie with less batting average. Like they're they're very very similar in a lot of different ways. It's just that Freddie is like a proven you know, two, 290 to 300 hitter kind of at, on an annual basis. And also got like in the 250 to 260 range, but the power stuff's very similar. The defensive numbers are pretty similar. Uh, Olsen is younger, all that stuff. So um, no one I want to hear say, uh, no one should hear us saying that we want Matt Olsen over Freddie. We're not saying that. This is again, a hypothetical that we were asked about if Freddie were to leave. But, and I think that's very, he's very clearly the best option available. If you want to call him available. I think the asking price, this is also worth pointing out. The asking price for Matt Olson will be very high, and it's not a solo bidding process. Like the A's would right. then 
right. would definitely know the Braves have a real gaping hole and they're going to ask mm-hmm. for the moon as they should. So uh, I think that's kind of throws this, I mean, not saying anybody's assuming that they're just going to give Mendelson away, but I, I have a feeling if this did happen, if Freddie were to leave on his own and the Braves were to trade for Matt Olson, uh, there would be a large portion of the Braves fan base that would be appalled by the return. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. It would be and a lot. It would be. And it's also the trade of, yes, Freddie Freeman's a free agent. Generally, you have to overpay a little bit in terms of dollars and years for free agents. So is it is it overpaying a little bit for Freddie or another free agent who's out there? Um, or you have to give up assets to, of course, trade for Matt Olson or someone similar. Um, there's that trade-off. Again, I can promise everyone that over these couple of months with the lockout, Alex Anthopoulos is not only playing out a plan B for Freddie, but a plan C and D and E and F. Because uh, the way this is going to work out, presumably, if, if you believe everything you you read, is you know this, this lockout is going to wrap up probably February-ish if all goes to plan. Let's hope. I can guarantee you the owners do not want to miss games, neither do the players, uh, and they don't want to miss out on their salaries, especially after 2020. Um, whenever free agency does resume, if some team comes in with some crazy offer that you just can't beat or don't want to beat to retain Freddie, you're going to have all of a couple of weeks to suddenly fill a massive hole on your roster uh, and, you, and you just have to be prepared. So again, I know uh, <laughs> Brad and I are in strong agreement here. I think everybody wants Freddie Freeman to come back. And ultimately that's what would be my guess as of today, but you know that Anthopolis and the front office have to have some backup plans ready to go. Yeah. Uh, one more on this because we talked about Matt Olson. we got a question from Jake. Uh, who says, if the worst case occurs, do you go for Matt Olson and keep Austin Riley at third, or do you want to trade for someone like Matt Chapman, who is also on the A's, by the way, and move Riley to first because there's no in-house candidate at first base? He says price is a factor, obviously, but for the two of us, who, which one would, would we prefer to have? We kind of gave the Olson spiel, but I'll give it briefly here on, on Chapman. Chapman uh, is under, under control for the same amount of time. Both Olsen and Chapman are free agents after 2023, so they have two more seasons under team control for relatively cheap. Olsen is not as good of a – I'm sorry, Chapman's not as good of a hitter as Olsen, but a career 120 WRC plus at third base. And uh, I would say uber elite defense, like top one or two at third base in the entire league defensively, um, only behind Arenado, for instance, and like outside of average in the last four or five seasons. He's very, very good defensively. So it's kind of – I have to be older in a lot of ways. Like Olsen is a better hitter and he's a first baseman, but you know, rather going to first would not be a problem given his bat profile and his um, athleticism. So I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm going to ask you to answer it first between uh, I, I guess price being a factor. I would imagine honestly, the, the price would be kind of similar. Maybe they might get a little bit more for Olsen um, yeah. because he's more of a high profile guy, but Chapman's really good, man. So, I mean, which one of these hypotheticals, I want to stress hypotheticals. <laughs> do you uh, prefer? Boy, um, man, probably Matt Olson, just because Chapman had some injuries over the last year or so, and he's coming off a not great year offensively. I think he has some fairly uh, chronic back problems, I think is what he's dealing with. Don't quote me on that. Um, so I would probably lean Olson. Uh, but in general, too, you, it, it brings up a good point of, um, again, best case scenario is Freddie at first, Riley at third, and we run this thing back. But if we can't do that, I think Riley moving to first is a possibility. And then there are a a decent number of third baseman options out there, even if it's not a Chapman 
Um, you know, Chris Bryan is a free agent still. Uh, Trevor Story is a free agent still. Carlos Correa uh, is not going to be cheap. I guess you could pres- presumably talk him into third base. So there are a whole bunch of third base options as well if it gets to the point of maybe Matt Olson just gets a king's ransom for another team um, and you have to adjust. Um, again, th- there's options, and I promise you over these next couple of weeks and months, the front office better be figuring out what exactly it is they want to do. Uh, but yeah. not to be a broken record, but there, there are options here and some good options, quite honestly. Um, it's just a matter of what's all, you know, it's a big puzzle at this point and you have a couple of big holes uh, to fill. And if you're able to fill them, I think you feel really good about this roster. It's just a matter of who's going to be there. Yeah. And, you know, I think I actually, especially if we are going to grant that, I think Chapman might be a little bit cheaper prospect capital wise. I think I might, this is going to be sacrilege. I think I might go, go over Chapman instead of my, uh, my, my not classmate, but someone who went to the same school as me and Matt Olson. Um, I, I think Matt Chapman's defense is like ridiculous. And he also, if he comes a little bit cheaper and um, you know, I'm also not as high on Riley's defense as some uh, he's still better than I thought he was going to be on defense to be fair, but there's still like a giant chasm between people's opinions on Riley's defense um, some people think he's awesome. Some people think he's terrible. I'm kind of in the middle on that. I don't think he's terrible, but um, if you put him at first, I know he'd be, he'd be good there after a little bit of time to get to get up to speed for sure. And then Chapman at third, and like suddenly your defense is like completely ridiculous <laughs> if you have Matt Chapman playing third base. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Um, Olsen's a better hitter though, so I, I don't really have an opinion. I think it just kind of depends on what you had to give up for each guy. And uh, there are two very interesting things, and I do think that it is worth pointing out that regardless of what you think about Riley's defense. The fact that he could easily move to first um, does open up a lot of things for you. Um, yeah, it really doesn't does. have to move to first by any means, but if you get a guy who is who, who you think is, is good at third base, you can you can go that route. And Riley has the profile of a bat to stick at first base. Like, like a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of guys at third, like you don't want you don't want to have him play first base because they're not great hitters, and that's kind of a, a power position. Riley obviously does not have that problem. So yeah, you have options. It's never a bad thing. No. Um, this is uh, all right. We'll get, let's get away from that as fast as possible. Uh, at least two more questions. This one's going to be more philosophical. In fact, he says as much. The question comes from uh, at WSFM on Twitter. And he says, on a more philosophical note, did the Braves win the World Series due to the quality or type of players that they brought in, or because management presented a we're not giving up kind of face that surprised a lot of people and changed the players' mindsets? What really clicked in the team? Uh, we're guessing on this one, I think, Scott, but feel free to fire away your answer because I don't, I don't have one off the top of my head. The perfect storm is, is probably yeah, what it was. That's what I, I don't know if it's something we can quantify. It, it quite honestly is probably a lot of a little things. Um, this roster underperformed during the first couple of months of the season. It underperformed and it was unlucky too. If you go by like run differential and all of that. Um, so I think it was a mixture of underperformance and maybe a little unluckiness. Um, the fact that the National League East was not very good this year was huge. Gave the Braves an opportunity to make the playoffs with 88 wins. Um, but th- there's no denying that the the additions at the trade deadline did wonders for this team. And I think mentally it helped, um, psychologically it helped, and, and it made this lineup genuinely good. It added a lot of power. It added some left-handed power too with Jock, which was something the team desperately needed. And uh, we saw what kind of run Jorge Soler went on and then, uh, Eddie Rosario it was just really it was just a collection of things and man what a run it was I, I find myself thinking about it <laughs> every now and then about how just 
crazy it is that this was the year the Braves won the World Series. Um, probably a little bit of everything and what a run it was. Yeah, I feel like it's always, I feel like I, every day I see a tweet from you about the same video of Horace Hilaire, which I really appreciate. Uh, your your brand is very strong. Well, there's um, like 20 of them. So you, you get to pick a new one every right, single it's day. Great. It's delightful. Um, but no, to answer the question, I think that um, there probably is something to the fact that they could not, that they, that they could not and did not, you know, give up and they went out and actively bought, you know, I'm sure we've said this before and poked fun of ourselves, but like we openly considered and even probably dabbled in them selling at the deadline. And I think that would have been reasonable. <laughs> they won the world series. And I think it still would have been reasonable to not buy at the deadline. That's, just, that's kind of where they were and how brutal it was. Um, so there's something to be said for like our bosses, our front office thinks that we're good enough and they're going to go buy for us and make this run. That probably helps. I think Snicker gets a lot of credit for his clubhouse management. You know, we've had our issues with him in the past in terms of in-game stuff, but everyone swears by him in terms of handling players and handling um, that that clubhouse. You know, the one thing that he's not great at probably is like handling young guys in public, like Ronald Acuna, for instance. But uh, everybody else, like everybody to a man, basically always swears by Snit, and that probably helps too. And they also just got hot. I mean, there's some randomness always in the baseball playoffs, and it's not meant to, it's not, not to be a negative thing. I do think that if you simulated that playoffs a hundred times, the Braves don't win that many of them. They probably win more than one, but they, they don't win half the time. You know what I mean? It's like, you have to get hot. You have to execute. You have to, it's a perfect storm. It's kind of what you said, but like, think about all the things that had to go right. And all the things that um, between dating back to early August, late July, like Eddie Rosario, because, because Mickey, because Mickey Mantle for a month. Yeah. Bray Soler, like, it hits the ceiling of what you thought he might be able to be. <laughs> Becomes Babe Ruth for yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, all this stuff comes into, into play. So, like, it would be crazy to, for us to chalk up to one thing. But yeah. I think that as someone who values numbers and math and probabilities in a way that some maybe don't think about the game, I still would certainly admit there is an intangible quality to that team and to the mindset and to – the way they were managed. And I mean, it's even just as hype as they were, this is probably like not a, not a huge thing in terms of why they won, but like go watch some of the like reactions and some of the interviews that they gave in the first round of the playoffs in the second round of the playoffs. Like they were dialed, man. Like that team was <laughs> top to bottom, the parade stuff we talked about on the show and all that stuff. But even during the, along the way, they had some brutal losses. Like mm-hmm. it, did, it didn't like quell them at all. Like they just kind of kept coming and they were not going to be denied. So I don't know. It's probably, it's probably a terrible answer, but I think it really, I think it really is like something of all of it. No, you're right. I mean, nothing, nothing seemed to bother this team. I mean, they never lost back-to-back games in the playoffs, right? Am I, am I correct? I don't believe they ever lost back-to-back games. Um, they went down in that first game against the Brewers and what they do, they won three in a row, even if all three of those wins were closely contested games. Um, you know, that, that nothing slowed them down after that tough first loss. They had that brutal game three in Los Angeles against the Dodgers where Cody Bellinger hit a ball that was at his eyebrows and everyone <laughs> was like, oh, here we go again. Same old Braves. What do they do? They go out, they get a blowout win in game four. Uh, they can't quite close down in five and then they come home and, and close it in six. And then, you know, you, you lose Charlie Morton in game one of the World Series. You find a way to win that one. You go back-to-back bullpen games in games four and game five. Um, I mean, it was just a a magical ride and truly everyone on the roster at some point contributed and some guys had better playoffs as a whole than other, but man, 
it was it was just I mean, really, it was like a Disney movie. I mean, when you think about just how many things had to go right, uh, what a fun group it was, too. I mean, quite obviously, whenever you have a team that wins the World Series, it's going to be an easy team to root for. But I mean, just with all the shenanigans with Jock Peterson and his pearls and some of those stories that surfaced after the year with like Stephen Vogt lightening things up. I mean, we, we would never know that story about Stephen Vogt being a key member when the team was really down in the dumps. Like, you know, it's things like that that just make all the difference in the world. So it really is, as we've said, I think it's just a little bit of everything. The team got hot at the right time for, for a franchise that uh, kind of entered the playoffs the last couple of years, resting on their laurels a little bit. I mean, they, they clinched early in 2018 and 2019 um, and, and were frankly kind of flat in the NLDS. They, they were firing on all cylinders. I think they won, what, 16 of 17 to close out the regular season. Uh, they, they were ready to go. And as you said, they were dialed in. There was no team on earth that was going to beat them. And, and they just they beat three really good teams to bring this thing home. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a lot, but it's uh, it happened. Uh, it's here as we're almost to uh, almost to Christmas. It's that that still happened. The Braves still won the World Series. That was insane. And uh, maybe one day we'll get tired to talk about it. Not today, though. Nope. Still, still fun. You have um, to enjoy it, man. I mean, there's who knows. I mean, in 1996, you, you know what I mean? Like, you, you just don't know the next time you're going to get to do one of these. And it, it's just just a magical thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like involuntarily laughing, but yeah, uh, that's that's what that's well put. Uh, last question, I think, in terms of actual real questions, but it's more of a fun one. Comes from Turner. Uh, in terms of levels of fleecing, this is the way he put it, which is which made me laugh. What was the better trade for the Braves, Upton to the Padres or Miller to the Diamondbacks? Uh, Scott, for everybody's benefit, I'm going to give the uh, particulars on these trades. Uh, people probably remember them, but if you're not yeah, like a full diehard, you might not remember all of these. <laughs> all stuff. hail John Coppolella and his rebuild. Yeah. So the Upton trade is the Justin Upton trade to the Padres, in which the Braves got Max Freed as the headliner, along with Jace Peterson, Dustin Peterson, your guy, <laughs> Dustin Peterson, uh, and Malik Smith, who's been around for a long time. Uh, that was that deal. And then the Diamondbacks trade with Shelby Miller, of course, to Arizona for David Swanson. Ender Inciarte and Aaron Blair. Uh, just for some some particulars here, Upton was still very good when he went to San Diego. So it wasn't like he just fell off the face of the earth. He was a four he was a four win player that next season. So he was still valuable for the Padres. Um, the Arizona trade, uh, Shelby Miller just was never good again, basically, um, which is kind of wild. And even if he even if he had been good, that was the rare deal. I'm not sure if um, you remember this way like I do, but that was the rare trade where like. Everyone, not only in Atlanta, but across the country that was covering baseball was like, what in the world are the Diamondbacks doing? Um, and that happened like in the moment. This is not revisionist history. And obviously it looked, it looked even better as it, as it went on. But no one could believe Dave Stewart at the time made that trade for Arizona. Uh, and it's worth remembering that like, while we put lots of fun in Ender Enciarte over the years, uh, Ender was legitimately good for the first three seasons when he was in Atlanta. So uh, people have this image in their mind now of Ender, current Ender, who is not good at baseball. And my apologies to Ender, but uh, it does matter that he was good when he got here for the first three years. So yeah. I said all that. Ender, yeah, Ender and Ciarte. We should mention as a housekeeping note, Ender signed a minor league deal. But oh yeah, he did. Yankees. I forgot about that. Yeah, I got I got to uh, write that one up. 
Um, so good luck to Ender. I hope he can. I mean, honestly, I, in all seriousness, I hope his body cooperates for him. He's had some tough soft tissue injuries over the last couple of years. Um, to answer the question, which is a good one. Um, I mean, in talking about the trades today, I would take Max Freed, who is pretty solidly like a top three, top five left-handed starting pitcher in the game and has been for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, he, he is certainly the best player the Braves um, received in either trade. I think that's, yeah. uh, with apologies to Dansby, I, I think that Freed is uh, clearly better than Dansby. Yeah, so, you know, in trades, there's so many ways to look at trades. I mean, the best player here was Max Freed. Um, and then they, they did get some production out of Jace Peterson. And Dustin Peterson never got a shot, but he should have. Um, and then Malik Smith gave him some production. I think Malik's got traded for, was it Luis Gahara who eventually got that traded? Is correct, I believe. And Malik Smith is still in the majors. Like, he's been yep. kicking around, but he's, he's only 28 years old. Yeah, yeah, he's, he played, he's a he, fine... He played with Seattle two years ago. Like, you know, he, uh, Malik Smith, fun fact, I just found a Malik Smith. Uh, he led the American League of Stolen Bases in a season in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, he'll, he'll stick around. Yeah, That's he'll wild. stick around for a little bit. He speedy, good defense. He can't it's, hit, but yeah, I mean, no. but no, regardless though, like that, that, it's one of those things where like this kind of question will be answered too seriously by us, I'm sure. But <laughs> also, like, you have to put yourself in that time and place too, and also just like look at what was going out because I think it's a little bit unfair to know that Shelby Miller was such a disaster after the trade, like and had that like really, really yeah. factor in because like he was good <laughs> when he got traded. Sean yeah. Miller was good at one point. Oh, he was um, great. I mean, that so, season, yeah, yeah, he was great. So that's like, that's part of it too. And like, how much do you weigh the ender being good on bad teams thing? Cause like he was yeah. good with the Braves, but those teams didn't matter. So it's like, I don't, I, honestly, I'm trying to think about it in real time to see which side of this I come out on because yeah, if you want to go just purely like factor of what happened it could be getting just getting max freed, but also you gave up a player and just not to know it was still really good for like three more seasons. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it, it's a good question. Now I'm, I'm the same way. I'm kind of talking myself through it. I think the fact that Ender was good on some truly awful Braves teams, like we, like, yes, he had a good 2016 and 2017 on two Braves teams that lost upwards of 90 games every year. Like, I, I think that plays a little bit in it. Um, I, boy. But at the same time, Dansby Swanson has been an average-ish starting caliber shortstop for four or five years now. And starting shortstops in the big leagues do not grow on trees. He had a great postseason this year, won a World Series. No, he's been good. I mean, I I mean, I think we're all because he was the number one overall pick and because of the hype that he got at some level, I think people have kind of seen him as almost like a disappointment. And I think that's probably not the case. I think Dansby, like you just made the point, like him being an average starting shortstop is really valuable. And honestly, he's been a little bit better than that, particularly in the last season and a half, you know, the, the, the half season. And then last year, he's been probably a top like 10 or 12 shortstop in the league yeah. for the last year and a half, two years. So like, that's really valuable. I, I think that, I don't know, they probably gotten more out of Dansby and Ender combined than they got out of Max Freed, but also like Max Freed might just make that look silly if he keeps his pace up for a couple more years. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a tough one for me. I good think question. That, yeah. Good I th- question. I think, I think in the moment, I'll, I'll go back to the end of the moment and just say that I, I think the bigger fleecing to, 
to use the word that Turner used in the question again, it was a good question. Uh, I think the bigger fleecing was still the Arizona trade because yeah. it just it made no sense at all, and and everyone knew it. It was like, wait, it, it's easy to forget this now. Aaron Blair was a real was a real prospect. Like it, it didn't yeah. work, but Aaron Blair was like a real part of that trade. <laughs> oh yeah, he was a top fifty or so prospect at the time. Yeah, he flamed out in spectacular fashion. But uh, <laughs> that was one uh, of those things where like in the I, I'm looking. I was looking actually right now for stuff on Talking Chop that was written about the trade. Um, but I, I I remember covering it on this podcast. I remember talking about it. Oh yeah, and Aaron Blair being a real thing. So, I think my answer in terms of the fleecing is still Arizona. But if you want to answer that it's the Padres because they got Max Freed in the trade, I have no issue with that at all. Yeah, <laughs> well, and Max Freed at the time too, as we're talking about at the time, Max Freed, I believe, had just undergone Tommy John surgery. Oh, he was which, not like the prize of that deal by himself by any means. No, it was it was more of a quantity versus. I mean, he. I think it's fair to say Max was the the top return. Um, But as someone noted the other day, I forget who on Twitter um, in the trade that announced that Justin Upton had been traded to the Padres, uh, Max Fried's name wasn't even in the original tweet. Like it wasn't like Justin (laughs) Upton acquired or traded to San Diego for, you know, former number seven overall pick Max Fried and three minor leaguers. No, I mean, it, it was, it was kind of like a, I know I'm talking about a, whoever was running the Braves social account six years ago, but nonetheless, it's a good question. I, I'm with you. I think the Arizona deal is probably a little bit more of a fleece just because of the return being so uh, universally praised at the time. But uh, to get Max Fried in a time where pitching is just at an all time premium, uh, is, is pretty great too. So long, long live John Coppolella. Uh, may he, may he <laughs> prosper. I hope that, uh, I hope that someone gave him a phone call during this Braves world series run, just to, you know, give him a pat on the back for being the architect of so much of this roster. Yeah. Uh, hmm. well said. Okay. Well, Copy. uh, unless you want to fire off any takes on uh holiday, anything, Scott, we can get out of here. Cause, uh, we've talked for a considerable, a considerable amount of time. Um, I will just say that uh, it's been a lot of fun to do the podcast this year. Um, not only because they won the world series, but because this podcast is just fun to record with you and Eric and everybody else that has come on the podcast. Um, it's probably going to be the last full on TC episode of the year. Cause I have some travel and nothing is going on, but if something happens, I might break in or if I get inspired, maybe I'll break in, but I would say it's at least potentially the final episode um, with me. And it's, very likely last episode with me and you, Scott. So uh, it's been fun and it'll, it'll continue. Here's the hard hitting question that everyone wants to know, Bradley. Favorite Christmas slash holiday movie? Uh, I have one answer for this. I think I'm going to do a quick Google search to make sure I'm not forgetting a movie because we did not prep this. Um, I know my answer. Yeah, it's still my answer. It is Christmas vacation for me. Okay. The uh, the Chevy Chase Vacation franchise version. I have seen that movie three hundred times. I think <laughs> probably in my life. I could probably re- re- recite the whole thing for you. Yep. Uh, is it the best movie of all time? No, but it is so good in so many ways. Um, all of it is just it's just brilliant. I'm actually I gotta say I'm not the biggest Christmas guy. Um, not because of any real like bad reason. It's just that I uh, it's just not my thing always. But I do watch it every year. Um, and it gets me fired up. So there are other options, but I think that's my clear number one. Uh, am I, uh, am I insane here? What, what, what's your, what's your take on best Christmas movie? Ooh, that's tough. If I, if I had to pick you asked one, me, you know, you know, it's going to get put back to you. you I you know. Had to know. 
and I was thinking about it. Now I'm second guessing myself. I, I think my answer uh, for Christmas movies, I would say is Home Alone. As you said, I have probably seen Home Alone, the original, more than any other movie on the planet. High on the list too, yes. Yeah, and though it's not Christmas, I will say probably my favorite holiday movie of all time uh, would be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. All right. Uh, Steve Martin, John Candy. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, but no, if it, I guess to answer my own question, Home Alone would be mine. Maybe I'll tweet and ask, ask I, everyone what yeah. their favorite favorite Christmas movie is. It would have been uh, high on my list too, just for the record. I don't think I don't know if it would have been uh, number number two, but it's certainly in my uh, my top yeah. five. Uh, by the way, my my Homer answer. My mom will never hear this, but my my mother is the biggest Charlie Brown fan in the world, hmm. and Charlie Brown Charlie Brown Christmas is like I, I've probably seen that actually more times because my mom just watches it on repeat for like all of December and it's like 20 minutes long, but uh, so that's, I'm not sure it's a movie, but that would be high on the list. Uh, wild card, wild card pick bad Santa. <laughs> bad wow. Santa is absolutely hilarious. I haven't seen bad Santa in years. It is very, it, it is extremely it. inappropriate. So if you have kids, yep. do not watch it with them, but uh, it is it is still laugh out loud funny to me. So I respect it. I, uh, it's funny too. We watched, uh, the Jim Carrey Grinch the other night. And as a kid, I didn't love that movie. I mean, it came out like 20 years ago. So you only pick up on humorous things when you're 10 years old, but now that I'm a little bit older, uh, some of the adult comedy in that and like relatability has gone up year by year (laughs) as I get older into an old, old man. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) it's uh, good times all the way around. I hope everyone out there travel safe. If you are traveling this year, Please be careful out there, and, and we really do appreciate all of you guys tuning in and the support over the last couple of months and years even, for that matter, has been just incredible for us. So thank you, everyone. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, and, and I hope uh, I hope all is well out there. Yeah, I second all of that. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you are somehow not a subscriber to this podcast, please go ahead and do that and rectify that. Uh, tell your friends and family. If you uh, have family in town or you're at their house and they might be Braves fans, you can share the podcast with them. That'd be great. If you want to support the show, a five-star reviews. Yeah. Christmas time. night dinner. Yeah. Do you uh, guys want... Just, just, fire, just fire, us, fire us up. Like, just put us on in the background Christmas dinner. Why, why wouldn't you want that? Uh, sultry Sounds tones good. of Scott Coleman. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if we're not back this year, then we'll see you in 2022. But uh, we'll be back then, I promise. And uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next time. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.